This episode of The Chris Johnston Show is brought to you by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? Then get in on the action at Sports Interaction. Whatever your sport, Sports Interaction has you covered. Bet pregame, in-game, or on one of our many unique prop bets. Head to sportsinteraction.com slash stpn or in Ontario, download the app now using the QR code at the bottom of the screen. 19 and over, please play responsibly. Uh, I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. I'm looking forward to doing a podcast with you where you don't have to look down at your phone checking a trade, CJ. You made it. We made it. It's We've passed deadline. It's done. Whoa. How are you feeling? Woo! It's one of those catch-22s, right? Because it, it's it, we can't deny how fun the last few weeks have been. Yeah. Like, it, this has been awesome in the hockey world. So much buzz, all the top teams loading up. I mean, this is storylines galore and, like, just sets the stage for interesting games down the stretch. But, man, that, it's a punishing couple weeks professionally. And then the last few days, not much sleep. A lot of time wired into a chair in the TSN studio. It was lots of fun, as I say. But I'm always I, – I consider it the Mount Everest of my work year, honestly. Like that is the summit. I mean, the playoffs can be busy and long, depending how much travel there is. You know, there's other periods of the year that are that are taxing, but nothing compares to deadline. And so today I stand at the summit of Everest with you, my friend, and it's it's nice to be here. Appreciate you saying that, but also you are technically sitting in a chair, but that doesn't really matter. We made it. <laughs> we made it. We got pounded by a snowstorm in Toronto, but we made it. Man, that's I it's a really funny that we're on different coast of the country now because like you know if you're getting some of that snow there's a chance that like i would be in a place that would be getting that too it's like the sunniest day imaginable in calgary of the morning we're recording this it's always sunny in calgary i think it's i think always sunny. that's a that's an underrated part of that city i know that the the temperature does all sorts of wacky things including getting really cold in the summer months sometimes it's unexpectedly warm in the winter months for periods but it's always sunny there and that's that's nice yeah, uh, I'm sure we can touch off on on whatever uh, happened with Brad Treliving, but there's a lot of stuff we got to get to with trades. But I do want to stick with the TSN experience for a second because this was your second time doing trade deadline day uh, with the boys. Um, even though it was a bit of a slower day, what did you make of the experience again? Hanging out with Gord. By the way, I should mention, because I don't know if Gord Miller listens to this podcast, I, I got to meet him the other day. And I made a little bit of a mini faux pas. I commented on Mike Johnson's suit and I didn't say anything to Gord. I think he took that personally. So I just want to say for Gord, you looked really nice doing the the show on Friday. I just want that known for Gord. So that way he doesn't come chasing after me next time we meet. I just want that stuff. That book ends nicely with one of the fun chirps that went on yesterday because um, both Mike Johnson and, and Gord Miller called the game in Calgary Leafs Flames on Thursday night. They flew a red eye overnight to Friday morning to Toronto and then came right into the studio more or less. I think they might've stopped by home quickly for a shower or something, but, um, and so, you know, that's pretty heroic work. And, and we were, we were over on our little trade breakers insiders desk and where Gord was sitting. We kept saying, isn't it amazing that Mike Johnson like flew overnight. He came in from Calgary. Like what a guy, like really, really put in the extra effort without 
ever had tipping gourds. So <laughs> we, we, we were, we were showing him that kind of subtle shade, just like off camera. And you, you did the same thing, I guess, inadvertently the night before. Um, you know, it was, it was a fun day still. I mean, uh, there was what, I think there was 20 trades or 21 trades. I mean, some of them are of very little NHL consequence, you know, what we'll call AHL deals. Um, but you know, no, no sizzle. I mean, John Klingberg, what it's got to be the biggest name moved. And even he goes for a fourth round pick in 2025. So, you know, most, uh, most of the action had happened in, in the, the days and weeks leading up to the deadline, really the last two weeks, especially, um, but you know, we, we had a good time there. It's a lot of fun working those guys. It's, it's even cool just to stay with Bob McKenzie for nine straight hours. Um, you know, just some stories come up, you know, maybe we're texting this agent or this GM and then there'll be some old story. Like it just, it, it's, it is actually a lot of fun when I step back. I mean, there's some stress associated with it. Cause you're always feel like you're missing something. You're trying to stay on top of things, but it's, it's a pretty cool experience. I think that I was trying to figure out, I think that was my 11th different trade deadline show between Sportsnet and TSN 10th wow. or 11th, 10th or 11th. I, I, I can't remember a lot, but it, you know, it was, it was, we made the best of it. I still think there was a lot of interesting things. I, th- I thought Bruce Boudreaux was awesome too, but he was way. amazing. I thought like he was, he might've been as someone tweeted the best transaction of trade deadline day was TSN acquiring Bruce Boudreaux um, between some of the skits he did, some of the stories he told, I really like to, I don't know if you saw, we did the fake draft lottery. Yes. Yes. Like mimic the way it goes down with the NHL. We had, you know, Jeff O'Neill playing the role of Bill Daly. And I did hear from some people who work for teams as that was going on, like that they were like actually getting excited in their war rooms, like watching that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, just seeing where their team ended up. Cause they did actually conduct like a legitimate lottery. Like they didn't, we didn't just pick like Vancouver is going to get Connor Bedard because that might be good for fans on the West coast. They, they actually did. They simulated the lottery based on current odds. And it was Columbus who ended up getting the first overall pick. They even asked, they had Connor Bedard on and they asked yeah. him about it, which was kind of funny. So I think, I think there was like lots of little things like that, that, that kind of carried the day along. And then, you know, we get some news and, and then five o'clock came around. We were, we were released and I, I drove home and got some pizza, pizza, open a bottle of red wine and life was good. How was lunch? Lunch was really good. Although there was a bit of a controversy because I got not the order I placed. No. What did you I get? Got, I got pulled beef or something oh, like that. Oh, you got the one I picked. Which was, which funny. I think that was second when I crowdsourced my lunch and it actually was really good. So it, it turned out okay, but, but I, I pulled the people. I think we got like 5,000 responses I, I submitted the lunch order that was the people suggested, and I got the second place one, but it was excellent. How the did food you was not good. get your lunch? Well, I did get lunch. They just, I don't know, maybe there was a mix-up. Like, they deliver, everyone, basically what it does, we we put those orders in, and then everyone gets a bag with their name on it. Um, And there's, you know, like because there was like a little salad and whatever plus. And yeah. when I open mine up, like maybe someone just put the wrong one in there. Like, I don't know. It was fine though. It tasted really good. I, so, I mean, you, so, so, so you didn't think to be like, Hey, uh, I got the wrong lunch. No, because the, I don't, I wouldn't even know where to do that. Like whoever delivers that, they deliver it like off the set basically. And we're supposed to be on the set most of the time, unless you, you know, have to leave for a personal reason. Um, and then, so I just went and grabbed my bag. I came back to the set. I opened it up and that's what it was. So, I mean, what was I going to do? It was, I mean, I was totally fine with that option. So I think did Jeff O'Neill steal your lunch? 
No, I think O'Neal's eating healthy these days. Oh, good for Chuck. Because there was Chuck. there was a pure there was a pure salad option, and I noticed a few people on set got that. But then there was others like me that were just eating one of everything put in front of them. Hey, man. Well, I had a, I had a breakfast sandwich in the morning when I got there. Man, which was all right, good. Well, look, no complaints with the food, man. Seriously, like they had they had a whole snack table. Um, you know, I I. I did have to sit and work for most of the time. Like some of some of the panelists, depending on what they're doing, are kind of in and out. And so they they literally have to go backstage for a period of time. And so if I had that kind of job where you actually had to like sit off stage for an hour, I probably would have eaten everything, but I didn't have a lot of opportunity to get backstage. So all right. Enough about food and the experience. Let's it's, talk it's about- so much fun though. It's Honestly, fun, like, though. it's really fun. I think I think that that has to be the takeaway is like we just we make fun of ourselves. Obviously, we you saw our our you know crappy for Connor man crappy for Connor be bad for Bedard. <laughs> you saw my outfit oh, like wait wait wait. Someone on Discord asked if you could wear the outfit. I know I asked too, but can you explain to everybody why you're not allowed to wear the outfit? So here's the real story of that. Um, yes, this is James Duthie's project. Yes. With his buddy Lester McLean, who does, you know, I think actually like musically makes this happen. But James, I believe, wrote the lyrics or most of the lyrics of that song. Lester composes the song and, and like turns it into an actual music video, right? But it's James's project. Like James was the one who texted me and is like, CJ, can you come in on this day and we're we're doing this thing? Yeah. So I'm just saying, like, there's no this is this is that is like fully James's baby. And then we get in there and, and he told me to wear something country-ish. So I actually wore the red and black sort of check shirt. You've seen me wear a lot on, on the pod. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have a cowboy hat or anything. So I thought I was going to be more of a country. And he gets in, he's like, nah, this isn't the right vibe. And he, and he had a whole wardrobe of clothes there that was like rented from, you know, I presume from somewhere that they would, didn't belong to TSN. And James Duffy actually selected that shirt for me in the hat. And, you know, if, if, if Jimmy, as we call him, tells you to do something, I'm still a new guy. Like I, I'm a second year TSN um, you know, but I'm I'm still sitting at the at the front of the bus kind of thing. I don't have a lot of tenure, so he told me to put that on. I put it on, and, and we went and made you know that that's how it came to be. But it, I, of course, then had to leave the clothes there because they were they were rentals. And when we did it, honestly, we probably ran through ten that song ten times. I'm gonna say ten like, times because obviously the camera people moved around. They got you know at one point maybe they, they there was actually a point where they did close ups to me. Like a lot of them didn't appear in the video. Or like of Cheryl Pounder, who was on the drums, or Dregs on the keyboard, Pierre LeBrun. Um, and and then, you know, so they were doing different things, but they just kept playing that song. And we were and we were all like singing along to it because they wanted if any of the shots like had you in it, that you'd be like singing to the words, right? But I'm not kidding, for the whole last week, that song has been in my head. <laughs> because I heard it so many times, it is oddly catchy. It is. Connor. Kissel made, made a cover of it Connor. already. Don't be no honor, honor, honor. Wait, wait, I have another question. When you were like on set, like with your ukulele, were you like trying to, do you know how to play guitar ukulele? Were you like, no, like, but I was strum- trying to like strum along the way I assumed someone would play it. I mean, I was goofy sometimes too. There was, well, yeah. there was some, when we did that, that, that line that popped like Connor, Con- there was Connor. some, where I actually took the ukulele and I was like doing that and Cheryl Pounder was doing it with her drumsticks. But, yeah, but <laughs> I didn't make the final cut, but we were trying to like, I don't know. We we had fun. Honestly, it was that was and do you know what the worst of it was? The day we were Tell recording me. that actually was that was the day the Patrick Kane thing was finally coming to a head. Ooh. And so at that moment, the Patrick Kane trade wasn't quite breaking, but was like in the process of breaking. 
So like, you know, you had Dregs and Pierre and I on set and we're all trying to like work, also do this goofy thing. I mean, it was just, it was funny. Even actually the Bruce Boudreaux one. Did you see the one where Bruce came in and yelled at us? That's my favorite thing of the whole day. And like, there's like a particular moment where he's like, LeBron Johnston, break some effing trades. I laughed my ass off. That was amazing. Oh my God. So he did it. I don't know how, I mean, who cares? It's all behind the scenes shit. Yeah, whatever. But like, but like he, so he did that. Maybe he did like five versions of the rant. It was totally unscripted. It was a spoof off of what he had done that, that appeared in the 24 seven episode when he was the Capitals coach. Yes. And, and we just, you know, stood there and let him do it. But like, I thought it turned out hilarious. Like even the Gino Retta line where he's like, Gino, you don't even have a chair. <laughs> and then like yes. Gino's face, like, like that was totally unscripted. And I just thought it was, it was perfect. It was awesome. Is it true that um, Bruce apparently at times, like, like obviously in the, in the actual 27, 24, seven clip, he like, he says the F word, but on set with you guys, he would say freaking like he didn't actually say the F word at times. At times, at times he said the F word, but then like, he actually said like, or F, but then he did start swearing more. Like the very first one he did, like the very first take, we'll call it. He came out and he didn't swear. And they're like, yeah. Bruce, we're going to need a lot more F bombs, man. Uh, and so like eventually he got more into it and he was he was dropping the real f-bombs i felt like i was in a dressing room anything else uh from that day uh we want you want to mention that we want to get into this was this has been this is really fun to just yeah, this is hilarious was, you gotta look if you missed our coverage on tsn trade center you gotta find the bruce boudreaux video i didn't i'd encourage you to look up bad for bedard too yes some people found it cringy some people found it funny whatever it, we're just having fun at the end of the day like I appreciate the production value that went into that. Like that, that was not put, that took a whole day of like filming. And then obviously behind the scenes, I don't even know how like producer Nick would know more about this or Jesse Blake. I don't even know how they put that together, but it was, I would consider it was a lot of work. The thing about the other, the Bruce Boudreaux one is we taped that like Thursday night, maybe six o'clock or something or five o'clock. And like they had that turnaround by Friday morning. So um, anyway, lots of people put lots of effort into it and, and, Again, I just think it's a day to celebrate hockey and everything going on. And it was a lot of fun. I'm glad. I hope, I hope I'm back next year. Yeah, I hope so too. And we appreciate uh, uh, all the work that you've done uh, and and everyone else on TSN as well. Uh, a bit shout, shout out to the Sportsnet crew as well. I'm sure their show was good too, but uh, I'm, I'm, you know, it's a really long day for everyone to work and, 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 you know, we appreciate your efforts to provide all that sweet, sweet content. Yes, sir. Doing our best. I mean, the real heroes are like, James Dutty and David Amber, like, like the people that have to like kind of traffic cop that entire day, like that's, yeah. and like stay, I don't even know how they stay in the moment. Like their brain must be going through. It's that, that is nuts. Like it, it's one thing to be sitting in the corner and just texting everyone and trying to break a few trades. And then they come over and be like, well, this guy's going for a 2024 fourth rounder. You know, that's, I'm not saying that isn't hard. It's, it's its own skill set, but I, I really, you know, Doing a nine-hour TV show straight is is relentless. I can imagine. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever get to that point with this podcast. We have to do a nine-hour consecutive show. If they we have to do that, we really must be doing something right. Uh, Adam would hate that. I don't even want to think about that. Okay. We're, let's we're trying to get about, shorter, not longer. Let's think about some trades that didn't happen. It's kind of funny to start off that way, considering that the trade deadline is supposed to be about trades that do happen. But there's two names that come to mind in terms of guys who we kind of thought, for whatever reason, would end up moving. One more than the other, but still, uh, J.T. Miller and James Van Riemsdyk. Uh, those two names, it looked as if there was some chatter. Maybe they'd they'd change. Uh, shout out to my friend Samantha Chang from uh, 
from Vancouver from the broadcast who I think really wanted someone to take JT Miller. That did not happen. Uh, who, who should we start with, JVR or JT Miller? Let's start with JVR because he he was closer to being dealt. Um, you know, being a pending unrestricted free agent, uh, veteran player, sort of known commodity at this stage of his career. You know, certainly there was teams that had some discussions with Philadelphia. He was maybe a plan B option in some cases. And I think we just got to the end and everyone pivoted somewhere else. Um, no one stepped up and paid, you know, was a third round price was, was third round pick was ended up being the asking price. I think earlier on, they were looking for a second round pick, which you don't know where the prices are going to go. Right. Max Domi, obviously younger, having a great season, you know, personally in Chicago, you know, he got a second rounder as part of that deal to Dallas. So it's not impossible as a pending unrestricted free agent. Um, and, you know, of course there's a, a bit of the snafu at the end where Detroit of all teams got involved with, with Philadelphia. Unfortunately, uh, our good buddy, Elliot Friedman, I don't point this out in, in any spiteful way, but had reported as, as most people would know or saw that the JVR was heading to Detroit. It's not because Elliot, you know, was way off base. I mean, those discussions were well down the road. It just didn't quite get done. And, and obviously someone jumped the gun in terms of giving him a tip. Mm. Um, you know, unfortunately these things are going to happen from time to time. And I'm well aware that I would be on the wrong end of that at some point. So I, that's why I say this with caution, but, but, you know, behind the scenes, what I can tell you is there's, there was no controversy from James Van Riemsdyk's end. Like he was never told he was traded or anything like that. I think Detroit got close. They needed to make another move in order to make the money work or, or to make that situation come together. And time ran out. They just didn't, couldn't get it done. So, Oh, excuse me. I'm going to sneeze here. Go ahead. You good? <laughs> um, but yeah, James. So, th- so that's what happens with JVR. I mean, unfortunate for the Flyers um, because they didn't end up selling very much. You know, got a couple of very late round picks for a few guys. Um, fortunate for JVR, would have probably liked to be playing in the playoffs, but he'll be a free agent July first, and I imagine he'll be signing a value deal somewhere that that has uh, you know the team that can win next season. You know, as for JT Miller, this one may- maybe a little more spicy because there- there's. I'd say that there's not exactly it's unclear who approached whom it's unclear what you term, you know, when two sides, two teams are discussing parameters of a trade, if it constitutes a true offer, mm-hmm. because you know, the way I believe Patrick Alvin worded it to the Vancouver media is that there was no offer for JT Miller, but as my TSN colleague, Darren Drager correctly reported, there were certainly discussions with the Pittsburgh Penguins on Miller uh, there was discussions earlier in the week and there was a discussions again on Friday on deadline day itself about what that trade might look like, how it might be. You know, I think that, that Pittsburgh at least floated the idea of two high draft picks, maybe even two first rounders, if that would work, but the trade, the trade never got to a point where it was going to happen. Do you know what I mean? I, I think it's a little like, you know, my report a few weeks ago on Eric Carlson and, and the Edmonton Oilers. I mean, there were discussions, there was some mutual I guess will to potentially make a move and they explored what would work and couldn't get anywhere with it. I think that that's, it's a similar kind of thing with Miller. You know, what's interesting here is, is Pittsburgh made a bunch of sort of interesting moves. They, they didn't have a lot of cap room. So they're shipping players out and losing Casper Kapan on waivers, bringing in Dmitry Kulikov, bringing back Nick Benino. And I think that they were trying to maybe see if they could do something bigger in order to make the Miller move work. And this is why I know it was at least serious enough. Pittsburgh was going to have to move another salaried player off their roster to, to make the money work. And I do know that there was talks with third-party teams, at least two that I'm aware of, 
about, you know, would you play take player X if we were doing a JT Miller deal? So they were at least exploring the options. Hey, could we flip this salary here and make the money all work? You know, JT Miller is a Pittsburgh area guy in terms of where he was born and raised. Um, you know, it's still in a, this strange period where he's got a no movement clause kicking in July 1st with the start of the seven-year extension he signed last September, um, but he can be traded and his new contract hasn't started yet. And so maybe, maybe there's a way that this gets revisited down the road. I, I don't know that it's fully dead. Um, you know, certainly Patrick Alvin thinks he'll be able to make some cap related maneuvers in the off season. At least that's what he told the media after the deadline passed. And so ultimately that trade didn't happen, but there was, there was legitimate smoke that those teams were talking. I think that there's some doubt from both sides of the table, though, how serious each other were. I mean, this is, this is kind of part of the game, right? It's a bit of a tango at the deadline. And so if you heard JT Miller rumors, that's, that's as far as I can tell where they came from. Legit discussions, Pittsburgh tabled the idea of a couple of high draft picks. Would that be enough to get them? They explored, you know, players they might be able to move off their their current team to make the money work, but it just never got any further than that. Okay. What about uh, anything else on on deals that might have happened that just also kind of fell through or any other names that were also rumored out there? Anything else we can we can go on that subject? Well, you know, the the, the Canucks tried pretty hard to move Brock Besser. Um, I think it, maybe in the weeks leading up to the deadline, maybe more than just the deadline day. Um, certainly teams had some interest. I think that there's concern about the, the two years remaining beyond this one on his contract and, and wondering if Vancouver might retain salary. So I think that's something that we'll have to watch again down the road. You know, Besser's actually had a pretty nice uptick since Rick Taka took over his coach. He's playing more. He's put up more points. Been back a little bit with Elias Pettersson, which is, is no doubt helped his production. Um, but I think that that, that will be one of these storylines that now carries into the off season. Once Vancouver's done playing is if there's a way to move them when you're just a little bit closer to the end of that deal, it's the off season. There's more maneuverability, maybe generally around the league. You know, Joel Edmondson was another one in Montreal who, you know, only got back. He's, he's had a lower back issue. It missed, missed a month or five weeks of play played the night before the deadline Thursday night in Los Angeles was the first game he'd played in that amount of time. Certainly teams were were looking at Edmondson, I think, like the idea that he is signed for next year. Montreal all along, you know, I think that they there was a time earlier in the season where they were confident they were going to move him by the deadline. The injury didn't help things, of course. I mean, it's there's other defensemen out there. They're more known commodities in terms of what they can bring this year. I think teams that called the Canadians at the deadline wanted more information on the back injury that, you know, there's concern that you're bringing in damaged goods if you're a team trading for that player. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I, I do wonder if if the Canadians revisit that in the offseason or certainly potentially by next year's deadline. I mean, that we'll see how competitive Montreal is a team next year, but I think they're still probably got a little ways to go. So, you know, he'll be someone that that's probably moves again down the road. So, you know, those, those are a couple of the other names that I think floated around um, in this period and didn't move and, and still might move. And, and, you know, there'll be others. I, I think that, um, you know, this was a pretty crazy deadline, all things considered. We, we just had the star and moon, like everything aligned, right? You had all kinds of very committed buyers. You had several completely committed sellers that are, I mean, there's going to be some bad, bad lineups down the stretch, man. I mean, that Chicago lineup, Anaheim, I mean, there's 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 going to be some interesting Arizona, Arizona. I don't know what's left of Columbus. I did get a kick out of the Blue Jackets putting out the the tweet about like Jonathan Quick. You know, it was a quick time, but you know, <laughs> so I like the social teams. I think the social teams had funneled it much the same way we did with our trade deadline coverage at TSN. So, 
you know, those are, those are some of the other things, I guess the Canadian teams, you know, it's hard not to pronounce this a successful deadline. I think in Ottawa, Edmonton and Toronto for me, you know, the senators getting Jacob Chikrin at the price they did, I think is, is a nice piece of business. You know, that team, one of the hottest teams in NHL right now and, and still facing uphill odds to, to qualify for the playoffs, but it's not impossible. This is the first time they've been buyers in a number of years. I just think, you know, watching Brady Kachuk, Brady Kachuk is one of my favorite players in the league right now. Um, he is, you're seeing him on a different level. I think, you know, he scores a goal against in those, they had a big back-to-back against Detroit earlier in the week and he's given the flex, right? You're seeing him score big goals in the Rangers game. I mean, I just think that this is a younger nucleus of players. And I think that the, the senators are going to be really good in the nearish future. Like I think that, that they really have a nice mix there. Getting Chikrin makes a lot of sense. He's from, you know, his family's from the area. He's in the right stage of his career. He signed for a couple more years. Like I, I think he can be part of the core of that team. And so I think that's that's a really nice deadline for Pierre Dorian. And and who knows? Now we'll see, you know, whether it's them or Detroit or Buffalo, which, you know, who can push and maybe grab one of these spots that, that's just sitting there, you know, especially with Washington becoming a seller and seemingly out of it. I know the Islanders are still kicking around too. So it's it's gonna be pretty competitive this year for the bottom spots in the East, which it wasn't last year, if you remember. It was we I think this time last year we already knew which eight teams were, were <laughs> going to make the playoffs, like with certainty. You know, in Edmonton, so much pressure as we talked about on Ken Holland to get Matias Ekholm. You know, from what I understand, I think like I think you know as a Swede, him and his partner are really excited to be in Edmonton, um, to be part of a good team again. You know, his first game against the Leafs just went so well. I, I just think that the the vibes are good in Edmonton right now because they were able to get you know, a big addition done, big piece of business done. You know, also getting Nick Bukestad's dad from, from Arizona at the deadline helps. And then, you know, the, the Leafs extremely busy, you know, they, they, they get six new roster players, you know, turn over 33% of their, their playing roster in, in the couple weeks leading up to the deadline. They've left room now for Matt Murray to be activated off LTIR to sign Matthew Nyes when his NCAA season ends. And, you know, I think the real challenge now for the, the stretch run for, for Sheldon Keefe is figuring out how to make these parts work, finding that the optimal lineup out of, you know, a lot of new faces and new skill sets and just trying to figure out how to blend that and make that happen. Um, but, you know, for the Leafs, they didn't give up their top prospect, Matthew Nyes. They ended up trading net one first round pick because they got one back in the deal for Sandine mm-hmm. and still managed to add all those pieces without really taking away from the top their most valuable things to trade you know maybe arguably Rasmus Sandin is potentially a big loss we'll see what becomes of his career in Washington with a little bit more opportunity than he got in Toronto but um, you know I think a nice deadline for those three teams I don't mind Winnipeg's deadline you, you kind of just wish might there have been a little bit more out there but I do think the Nino Niederreiter edition in particular is kind of sneaky good because it's a second round pick and it wasn't a rental player uh, they get Vlad Nemesnikov on the cheap we'll see if he can can bring something, um, you know, Calgary, we just know that they just weren't going to give up anything serious. Vancouver didn't sell as much as they'd like. And then Montreal didn't sell as much as they'd like. I mean, some of that was beyond Kent Hughes's parameters, but um, you know, with injured players and, and, and the like, they just didn't, uh, they weren't as active at this deadline as they would have hoped. Great run through, through all the Canadian teams. Do you have a winner and a loser? That was a stream of consciousness day? there. I that didn't was just, you that. just going off the dome. Like you just went <laughs> off. I got into the trance, just like you just went in, man. That you dropping some bars. That's what you call bars. I can't um, wait to be goofy with you on Monday. 
Oh, <laughs> Monday is going to be fun. Do you have a winner and a loser for deadline day? I think Carolina is probably a loser um, for me, just because they're the only one of the teams right at the top of the standings that didn't take a big swing. Now that's wasn't for lack of trying. It's, it's not, it's not a criticism of their front office. They, they were in big on team Meyer and, and, you know, San Jose went with New Jersey's bid, but I think even the fact that it's the devils that get Meyer, you know, just with those teams kind of locking horns in the, in the standings here for the rest of the regular season, potential playoff matchup could be in the offing, depending on things break, you know, that the Carolina also saw the Rangers go all in, in the same division. So I think, not doing bigger business than Jesse Pugliarvi and Shane Gostisbehere, you know, makes them kind of a deadline loser. Now, as we know, teams that are active at the deadline, it doesn't always work. Like what the Leaf strategy here, we might end up saying at the end of the year, it just was too many new pieces to introduce and they never got it together after that. I mean, that that's, it's an unknown thing, but that that's, I would quantify them a loser. Um, at least for me, just because there's so much opportunity there. This team has been knocking at the door. I just, I feel like you, you maybe wanted to give them a little bit more to, 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 to have a push and especially a scorer, right? I mean, let's, let's not forget they lost Max Pacioretty, uh, who was meant to be kind of their deadline addition, um, someone who can put the puck in the net. And so, you know, he's, I, I just think that Carolina might have some regrets about this deadline moving forward. The winners got, I mean, there's a lot of winners, but the Bruins to me have to be the winner. I mean, to, to have the cap situation they're in, and I recognize that this is be, mainly because Taylor Hall and Nick Foligno both suffered injuries in the days leading up to the deadline, but to get Tyler Bertuzzi and Garnet Hathaway and Dmitry Orlov, who's done nothing, you know, Bobby Orlov here, um, <laughs> you know, done nothing but score and put up points since arriving from Washington, to, to graph that onto a roster that's already over 100 points on the season, you know, when you just get to the start of March. I mean, this that team is a freaking wagon and that's, that's, it's hard to argue that that wasn't good business all around for Don Sweeney. So, um, you know, they've been winning all year. Why shouldn't they win at the deadline? I guess that's where I'm at with the Bruins. Um, but lots of teams had monster deadlines. I mean, I, I love that what the devils did. Um, that's, that's a short-term play, but a longer term play. Uh, you know, I, I, I like the Leafs set of moves myself. I think it makes sense. You know, I, I, there's a lot of teams that, that should be feeling good about themselves now. And now we get to see them kind of go to war for maybe we shouldn't call sports in war, but now, now we get to see them really get into the trenches and battle here, which is, I guess, a euphemism for war. It's going to be, yeah. it's going to be fun. Anyway, it's going to be cool to see how competitive um, it is down the stretch and into the playoffs. And so what about you? Did you have a winner or loser kind of scenario in mind or. Uh, in terms of, I guess, if we're looking at the full picture, like I, I, I don't really disagree with, with your picks. I, I, I will give props to Edmonton because for so long we've thought, okay, well, they have to do something. They have to make some kind of move to maximize what they have with McDavid and Dreisaitl. But I, I'd really like them getting uh, Matias Ekholm from, from Nashville and, and Nick Bukestad as well. Like, I, I think those are decent moves. And I mean, they, they put the pounding on Winnipeg yesterday. They're going to play them again on, on, on Saturday. And like I, I still, I, I know there were there, you know, maybe people are wondering about their season and how they've been going throughout the year. I think they did some moves that'll really help them out for the most part. Um, in terms of like, I have to focus on Calgary. I mean, I'm not surprised they were as quiet as they were. That being said, I kind of like what they did uh, in getting Troy Stetcher. Uh, one thing we did not mention at all: NHL history occurred yesterday. The first ever brother for brother trade. 
uh, in that stretch, that Nick Ritchie uh, going from Arizona to Calgary and Brett Ritchie going from Calgary to Arizona. That, that's history. That's that's funny to me. Do you think you just but, stay in each other's house or apartment? I'm trying to figure that out. Uh, I think Bill Armstrong I, made a, a joke about that. I, I think they might do I that, mean, but I'm trying to confirm that. I don't know their family status if they you know they have partners or kids or those types of things. But I mean, it makes sense. Way back when, when uh, the Leafs traded Nazem Kadri for Tyson Berry, they traded houses for the season. I mean, they did. So and, and I'm sure it's happened in a number of other instances. That's just one I know of. But I mean, you got to think with your brother. There's no one you trust as a tenant, especially in a short term situation like this one for the time being. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. One thing I learned because uh, the Flames also acquired Dryden Hunt, and apparently, uh, Mackenzie Weger is staying at Dryden Hunt's place in Calgary. But now that Dryden Hunt is now part of the Flames organization, I wonder how that's going to go. <laughs> that's Maybe weird. That is weird. Is Dryden Hunt from Calgary? I didn't realize. Apparently, that. yeah, he is, apparently. Okay. Well, I mean, I had no idea just, until yesterday. Maybe there's maybe there's a couple bedrooms. Like maybe you can still just move into the guest room for a little while or something. Maybe. Um, I'm trying to think of other winners. I mean, there's look, a whole Boston... good story to be done on like NHL and houses. Yes. Like yes. living situations. You know, there's a few players I've talked to over the years that like played in multiple cities and had good contracts that ended up owning like five or six houses. Like kind of just by, you know, because they lived the place, they didn't sell it, they held on to it, they rented it. Um, I know my buddy Colby Armstrong, he got traded when he played for Pittsburgh. And I think it was, is it Craig Adams came back in the deal, I think. I want to say, was it Craig Adams that played for the Penguins? Do you remember? Uh, I remember Craig Adams at some point suiting. Was, was, I'm pretty was sure, Kevin Adams anyway, also won? I'm pretty sure that Craig Adams rented Colby's house for like seven years after that trade. And then, and then Colby was just retiring and getting back into the broadcasting career when Craig Adams, if it is Craig, and I'm sorry if I have the wrong player here, left the Penguins finally. And then Colby just moved back into that house. So anyway, there's there is a whole there's a whole cottage industry of NHL players sort of sharing apartments, houses, living abodes because it's such a crazy lifestyle and job. The only Colby Armstrong trade I'm able to pick up unless i'm just missing the wrong one or maybe it was a free agency thing it's the one that sent uh, to atlanta within the marion hosted deal correct and uh, pascal dupree was also in the deal but i don't see any adams uh okay, Eric Christensen. The... yeah i'll look it up i'm sorry <laughs> this is just not good this isn't this good is youtube this isn't good for podcasts this is gonna I... bug us both we need to figure I this know. out oh, i don't no. even know if i'm right. licensed to tell this story but colby's my buddy and i'm not really giving away state secrets here Colby's a good guy. Oh, he's the best. I mean, yeah. Not everyone wants their business out there, you know? No. <laughs> I like to, like, uh, I, I spoke to him for a story I did earlier this year, and uh, he was really good. One thing I, I have to follow back up with him on, I asked him if there was a way he could pull up Jeff Carter's middle name, and he never got back to me about that. Oh really? Have you noticed in the mentions there's a guy who keeps like every week like oh yeah. So it happens. is Craig Adams. Craig Adams played from the Penguins from 0809 right. through 2014-15. Okay. I'm, I'm reasonably sure he rented that Colby's house from him, and then he left the Peng like his career ended just as Colby's career ended, and then Colby just moved back into his house. So, okay. So we so we so we have that down. I'm I'm glad that loop has been closed. I'm sorry that please don't clip this for YouTube. It's the worst segment we've ever had. <laughs> We got there eventually, but the the getting there part was hard. Do you have uh Do you have it in you to answer serious hockey questions before we end? Just a couple. I'm I'm waning. I've also got another engagement coming. So 
Not nearly as exciting as what it is. It sounds, but okay. Uh, just a few for you. And for those who want to get questions in for ask CJ, our Monday show is going to have fun questions. We're just going to go through the hockey stuff Monday, get in all of your fun stuff. I've seen a bunch of people put fun stuff on discord already, and I'm really excited for you to get to them on Monday. But in the meantime, hockey questions. Let's start with uh, Luke McGraw on Twitter. Why is a free agent who signs with a team post deadline ineligible to play in the playoffs, but NCAA players can sign in late March or even April and still be eligible to be on a playoff roster? Is it simply because a team already has their rights? The answer is yes. A team has something called a reserve list, which is a list of players that the organization has contractual rights to that that includes players you've drafted before. And so you know, someone like Matthew Nyes is currently on the Leafs reserve list and was before the trade deadline because he belongs to the organization. Uh, and so when he signs his contract, you know, once he's able to, then that leaves him eligible for the playoffs. Whereas if you just join a team after the deadline in any way, shape or form, you're ineligible to participate in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, Brandon Parker, is there any indication on how the NHL's memo regarding cap circumvention was received by NHL teams? People were quick to point out the flip side of the issue with teams like Arizona circumventing the cap, cir- circumventing to the cap floor, wondering how some contending teams feel. Well, it's not just contending teams. I think some of the teams that had players that fell into that, you know, fell under that umbrella weren't happy about it. I think the biggest issue was it came out three or four days before the deadline itself, too. And so Teams had obviously been planning certain things. They'd, they'd probably had well down the road on trade discussions, all those sorts of things. And this impacted to some degree what could be done. I think that the the sort of lack of a consistent standard was was something I heard. Because, look, if you're Boston, for example, right now, you're allowed to now put Taylor Hall on long-term injured reserve uh, because he suffered an injury just in recent days here and, and not activate him to the playoffs and be able to replace his salary on the, the salary cap with the long-term injured exception. So... Why can Boston do that, but a team can't trade, say, for Sean Monaghan to name one of the injured players out there that didn't move and place him on long-term injury exception and, and, and basically stash him in the playoffs? I mean, it, it's there's not a lot of consistency. We saw the Leafs actually, in fact, do that with Riley Nash a few years ago, and, and it was allowed, and all of a sudden there was this apparent crackdown, although, again, it was only just basically saying those moves would be scrutinized. It didn't explicitly ban them. So it was just – I think it did – there was some frustration at the timing of it and the sort of seeming lack of consistency. And I'm curious, again, it's a bit of a behind the scenes topic, but I'm just curious to see where that discussion goes, if it's raised again. Cause I, I don't, I think that there needs to be a bit more clarity there than that kind of memo coming down three or four days before you have a trade deadline. Okay. You're familiar with the uh, TSN 1050 show uh, Leafs lunch, correct? Yes. I'm on every Friday at 12 o'clock Eastern. Okay. I sometimes That's make my a Friday lunch date. They're, oh, that's like nice. Julian Al's brother. Yes. Uh, speaking of Al's brother, I was on with him uh, on Thursday and Julia. Uh, I could consider them friends of the show since we, we've both appeared on their shows. Uh, Al asked me this question and he said he wanted me to put this to you. So I'm going to read okay. this out. When you see that the Arizona Coyotes have almost 60% of their roster uh, of their cap uh, towards players who are not playing, uh, how has the NHLPA not filed a grievance against that? Is that something they can look into? I mean, they can look into it, but the the Coyotes haven't violated the rules. Like we, they've probably arguably violated the spirit of the rules, but 
I'm always one, like I love when teams get creative and find ways to, to jam players in under the cap and to, to be, to make the most moves they can to be successful. I mean, this is kind of the antithesis of that. It's the opposite, but it would be a double standard of me to say the Coyotes can't do this. I mean, they're finding ways to game the, the system at the bottom end. I, I, I think teams should do more to game the system at the top end. The, the truth is we, I believe we'd all be better if there was a little bit more looseness in the system. It wasn't such a rigid hard cap system. We know why that exists. We know how that benefits team owners and it's a CBA negotiated item. And so the odds of it changing are long, but because there's so many hard parameters on the system, I think it forces teams to game it one way or the other. The Coyotes is going to be interesting. This has been their plan. You know, look, call up like the number of draft picks they have. It's, it's obscene. The number of draft picks they now have. Those picks don't represent, I mean, they're lottery tickets. There's no guarantees, but this has been their plan. It's to truly bottom out in a mass, an incredible amount of picks. They've done it. Now the pressure is on them to make good on those picks or to package them into something else that can give them actual players. I, I'd like to see them at some point covet players more than picks, but this is part of a longer term strategy that, you know, I've talked to their people about like this. This isn't a surprise to me, I guess I'll say. And I understand why people look at this and just like, this is silly. Like they're trading for Jacob Voracek's contract. And last year was Brian Little's contract, Shea Weber's contract. I mean, it's just over and over and over again, but you know, they're, they're amassing assets while doing so. And they have to eventually make good on them. I think that's the truth. Eventually they have to try to build a hockey team. That's going to beat other hockey teams consistently. And so that's if, if they, if they don't ever get out of this cycle, that's where I'll start hammering them. But this is this was the start of a new cycle under a new GM with a specific plan while they're playing in an NCAA arena with the idea that they're supposed to be a good team with a real foundation by the time they move into a new rink in Tempe. And we'll see if they can pull that all together. For the record, uh, seven draft picks within the first three rounds of this coming draft. Um, I want to just use my math real quick. Eight picks within the first three rounds of next year's draft. And then seven picks again within the first three rounds of 2025. Like that's 21 picks in the you first, actually can't, first three rounds. I don't think Go you ahead. can feasibly use all those picks on players. No, like because you don't, you, you only have so many contract spots. Exactly. You can only sign play 50 players to contracts, depending where a player plays when you draft him. You, you you only have two years to make a decision on signing them to a contract or they go back into the draft. It can be four years if they're in the NCAA or Europe, but still you have to kind of, they, 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 they literally can't make all those people into players. So I imagine at some point you'll see them packaging picks together to move higher up the draft and all that stuff, or maybe trading them out for, for real live bodies here. Um, but wow. I mean, if you're an amateur scout, there's no better place to be working right now than, than a place like Arizona. There's a few other teams that have, you know, really compiled picks too, but, but Arizona's might have the most, I would think. Yeah. And and some of those picks do have conditions attached to at least three. I can see I'm looking on the cap friendly website, at least three of those picks over the next three years uh, have some kind of condition attached to them. Um, Do you have time for one more? One more. And Clock's ticking from yes. From soap dispenser cap related question here with Chicago retaining 50% of Jake McCabe's contract for the next two years. If they suddenly decide they need that space next year, could they buy out a retained contract? No, that that money is on the books forever. There's nothing they can do to touch it. They can't get rid of it. And in fact, you only can be retaining three contracts at any given time. That's one spot that's spoken for for the rest of this season, plus the next two for Jake McCabe. That's 
primarily why you don't see teams retain when, like when we talked about Eric Carlson, you know, that he has four more years. One of the main arguments, in addition, to just the money and all that about not retaining for that amount of time is you're just stuck with that dead cap space. You, It's one less cap. It's one less slot you can use to retain. I mean, it just, it limits the things you can do. Teams most of the time are just doing a, a retained transaction for a player on an expiring deal because they know by June that that just goes away and they're, they're fresh to start the next year. All right. That's going to do it for our bonus pod edition. Uh, another uh, great Saturday edition. I'm going to miss doing these for a while. I mean, I'm going to like having my Saturday back, but I love you. I love pr- producer Nick. I love you too, but that you do bring up a really good argument. Yeah. We're in a mail it in <laughs> March now, bud. This is, this is uh we're gonna we're gonna have a little easier march. I'm gonna be sunglasses CJ on Monday. We're gonna Ooh. do goofy questions. I don't know. We might not even talk about hockey unless something really big happens this weekend. So yeah, that's kind of how I envision Monday going. I like unless something crazy happens, we could probably get away with just doing a show where it's just random shit being discussed. I'm in. I'm in. All right. Uh get your questions in. They have to be fun. Uh, or we'll just push whatever hockey question you have to the week after. But get in your fun questions right now, uh, whether you're on Discord, whether you are on Twitter. Use the hashtag AskCJ. Tweet at CJ Reporter Chris. Uh, JKA McKenzie is my handle. Follow uh, Both of us follow the STPN Sports account. Uh, subscribe to the podcast, however you listen to podcasts. Any other bit of housekeeping before we go? No, I'm uh, I'm toast. But thanks for getting me through this. You carried me today, bud. I don't know, man. You, you've, 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 you've held your own these last few weeks. You've carried the show in more ways than one. <laughs> oh man! All right, enjoy your weekend, people. Get your, get yourself some rest. Mix in a water if you can. For Siege, I'm Julian. So long. Deuces. The Chris Johnston Show. Powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.